0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair.
1: It's such an honor to
0: present this next award. And here are the nominees. And... I'm Katie Rich, the Deputy Editor of VanityFair.com, and I'm here with our Chief Critic, Richard Lawson. Hello. And our Senior Writer, Joanna Robinson. Hi, Katie. Uh, We are here at the end of June, which somehow now means it is list-making season. We're going to talk about the best TV and movies of the year so far, because there really is a lot to discuss out there. Uh, And Richard has helpfully made two lists that will be published on VF.com to help you sort through it, and now we're going to talk about both of them in depth. Okay, so let's start by talking about television. Richard, you and uh, our colleague Sonia Soraya collaborated on a list of the best TV shows of the year so far. I love that we're just in this period of solidly like, nope, six months is plenty. We need We need <laughs> lists in the halfway through the year and list at the end. Um, but uh, tell me about how um, how you kind of piece together what your favorite shows of the year so far were?
1: Well, I, I just want to say, you know, not only, Katie, will we get year end lists, we're going to get decade end lists, too. So, oh, Jesus Christ.
2: <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs>
0: it's
1: it's going to be listomania in December.
0: Like, we're just going to start arguing about the social network all over again just when it felt like we were finished.
1: <laughs> exactly. <gasps> um, but, yeah, the TV list, I mean, it was, it's mostly Sonia um, who came up with it, and, and I sort of added some things um, at, there at the end. But um, it's such a hard thing to do now because, you know, we say it. Probably every week or when we talk or at least when we talk about TV on this podcast like there's just so much and um you know one omission from from our best of the year so far list is Russian doll which people were on Twitter were like where where's that show and it's like you not everything. Can get in uh, partly because there are some other like weirder, smaller things like um, Pen 15 or um, I think you should leave that like it felt really important that we include on the list. Because Um,
0: because making a top 10 isn't just about what you really like, it's about signal boosting. Like you take that into account for this or film list or anything.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, it's all, you know, <laughs> it's all subjective. So like, <laughs> you know, I, sometimes people get very indignantly angry and it's like, well, I mean, it's not like I'm not like we're not breaking a law. Like <laughs> like we can these things can be whatever they are, you know, they they, they <laughs> we want them to be. Um but yeah, you absolutely I think do want to give a show that maybe hasn't gotten these, the same amount of attention as another show um that little bit of a of a boost because um again, there's so much out there and I think that like part of our job as critics now is less about gatekeeping and more about like advocacy and saying like, here's this thing that you need to see because, um, you know, I guess we're kind of curating it for people because there's just, you know, that you can't focus on all of it at once. It would would go crazy.
0: So what's the thing that you felt the most strongly about getting out there to curate for people and tell them to watch? Well,
1: I'm not proud of this, but Love Island. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um which is a british uh dating show that's been on this is, its fifth season is currently airing and i guess that's what we're technically counting um as the best tv this year um but yeah i got into the show last year with season 4 uh it is a i guess it's 5 days a week maybe six no, six days a week with a with a recap episode uh of just british Singles, um, Irish people, Scots, you know, Scotsmen, Scotswomen uh, in a house in Majorca, uh, but like not anywhere near the coast. Like (laughs) just like there's like just surrounded by farmland (laughs) Um, and they just like hang out in the sun all day and they get coupled up with each other. And there's like minor, minor drama, but it's really just like about these I think I described them as house cats just kind of chasing patches of sun around this like deck <laughs> and and it's like so mind blankingly like nothing happens and yet um I I'm riveted uh every episode and so while there are problems with the show in terms of who they have on the show and how they you know how they cast it uh it's it's not a totally um positively like uh representative or or politically forward show uh for this era but um it's still just um, if you want to turn your brain off for a summer, uh, there, you could do a little better, I think, than Love Island.
0: I don't think you're a viewer of The Bachelor, but but does it feel like kind of a corrective to that whole toxic idea that came up from that of like people getting too drunk and consent issues? And like, there's always a racist on The Bachelor. Like, is it just like, okay, just, just people like, liking each other on television? Yeah, so
1: it's kind of interesting. Like, you do see people on Love Island drink. But um, my understanding is, in earlier seasons, uh, my boyfriend has actually gone back and is now watching season one, and I've like seen like an episode or two of it, and I'm like, oh, it's
0: you have too yeah, much I know, power, told Richard.
1: I'm ruining someone else's life. Um, but um, <laughs> but it's different because because like, well, the, 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 you see them getting actually kind of drunk, but but also apparently there was a rule starting with season four where like it's put out by ITV two in the UK um but i maybe it was like some british governmental thing where like you cannot show people smoking as much as they are smoking <laughs> so they had like a little cigarette area that i guess they had cameras on now they took the cameras away so you never see anyone smoking cigarettes you never see anyone drunk um there's implications of sex but it's so chaste and like everyone is kind of nice to each other and supportive of each other it's not like an american show where within you know like like the real world road rules challenge where within you know 2 minutes people are having like rum soaked <laughs> fist fights like that that is not happening on this show and or if it is it's happening off camera which i find really refreshing um it's really pretty pleasant sometimes there's like you know an argument or things get a little bit dramatic but um for the most part yeah it's just it's just so like even keeled uh and 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 crucially different um from an american reality show um and 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 yeah part of the reason why i don't watch the bachelor or whatever else
0: um, I, I don't, I'm not gonna say I was surprised not to see Game of Thrones on your list because uh, you know we've all discussed that show and how it ended at nauseum. Uh, are people mad at you for leaving that off too?
1: That I actually haven't heard about, which is interesting. You know, um, I just mm. wrote a piece for one of our special issues, the Emmy issue um, that'll be out this summer for voters um, about like what shows will uh, kind of take the uh, the mantle from Game of Thrones and Veep, which the conventional wisdom is that those are going to kind of you know run the table at the Emmys in the comedy and drama categories and when, as I was writing it I was like maybe Game of Thrones won't because you know excuse me a lot of people were like not into that season so uh, including me and Sonya um, I mean I liked aspects of it but um, you know so I don't know it'll be interesting to see how that shows legacy kind of um, endures past uh, this you know and m- this immediate moment, because I, I think that, like, it's just not really hanging in our memory um, the way that it would it would seem to have uh, before the season started.
0: I've started to wonder that as well. And then also thinking about living in a post-Green Book world, how much we're taking our Twitter feeds as evidence of how larger voting bodies think you can go back and forth forever.
2: Right. right.
1: Well, yeah. No, exactly. And also, like, part of the work of, like, what do we do in this podcast, and certainly we do on on VF.com and, and our special issues about the Emmys, is, like, trying to figure out, like— where the Television Academy's brain is going to be. And, and looking at our list, you know, we have uh, Rami, the um, the Hulu show. We have um, When They See Us, Ava DuVernay's show about the Central Park Five. Um, you know, these are shows that, like, maybe could get Emmy attention. Fosse Verdon certainly feels, like, likely to. But um, there's, a, there's a world in which, you know, on this list of 10, maybe just Barry and Chernobyl are the only things that actually get a lot of, MV. you know, Emmy... Oh, well, Veep, yes, of course, yes. Veep is on there, too, yes. Um, but in terms of, like, newer stuff, it's increasingly feeling like, you know, sort of viewers, like critics, or sort of diehard TV fans, and Emmy voters are really on, you know, diverging paths, um, and um, maybe there will be some convergence uh, coming in the future when once Game of Thrones and Veep have rolled through, um, and, and the Academy has to find new things to to give prizes to, but... Yeah, it's it'll be interesting to see how much you know our list of the best shows so far uh, when the Emmys nominations come out um, next month uh, if if they sync up at all.
0: Joanna, would
2: Game of Thrones be on your list of the year so far? Is
0: that too loaded a question?
2: Um, I don't think so. Like uh, best of 2019? No, I don't think it would. Like there are other sort of. Accolades we can hand it like most momentous or you know what I mean like the thing we were all watching like that's certainly true. But when you look at the most show the most <laughs> the mostest show. But when you look at the the list that Sonia and Richard put together, I mean, there's so much good stuff stuff that I've been catching up on since Game of Thrones. Like I think you should leave. I love that you put that on there, Richard. This is the Tim Robinson uh, Netflix sort of sketch uh, series um, that a uh, friend of the show, Matt Patches, was sort of banging on about a while ago, but finally some friends sat me down and we watched like couldn't stop watching and it. it was so good. So, um I'm a big fan of that. And 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 those are, I mean, I know I've talked about the Television Critics um Awards on this podcast, but like this list that you guys put together, these are the shows that I'm seeing reflected in the nominations for the Television Critics Awards. And it's not like the TCAs have ever like very closely aligned with the Emmys, but this is exactly the other advocacy I mean, why else do we do this if not to shine a light on something that doesn't have a multi million you know, Game of Thrones doesn't need our boost, you know what I mean? Yeah. But like these other uh you know, I don't know if you've heard of Netflix, but Netflix sometimes needs some help with its shows. No, I'm just kidding. Um <laughs> this is a really good list that you guys put together. I really, I really uh I, I have no arguments, no complaints, except maybe Russian Doll, but you heard enough of that. So, and the I'm really glad I'm really glad the other two is on here too. There's like an, a lot of nice comedies on here, um, which is a nice break from you know we cover a lot of prestige drama when Richard and I do still watching, but it's nice to remember um, all the good comedies that are out there.
1: Yeah, and I think increasingly for me, uh, I'm suffering from a little TV fatigue this year. Um, I'm not quite sure. I think it's because I've just become hideously addicted to YouTube and (laughs) spending all my time watching that. But, like, I love a comedy now because it's short, it's easily kind of digestible, um, and there's so much good stuff being put out there, um, you know, and if people are listening, like, I Think You Should Leave is... It doesn't immediately seem like everyone's cup of tea. It's, you know, a lot of scatological humor. Right. It's really, you know, it's it's a little juvenile, if you want to call it that. But, like, if you just give in to, like, the first episode. Like, I have friends who I would otherwise think are sort of a little bit snooty about the kind of stuff. I'm they watch snooty. Who are just all in on it. Yeah. And they're just everyone's just, like, all in on it. Because it's just, like, it, you, I just feel like I'm, like, 14 years old and laughing at, like, you know, liar, liar, or whatever <laughs> dumb comedy I liked back then. You know, it just feels good. It's like a very kind of cathartic feeling.
2: Yeah, completely. And uh, it's one of those things where, like, they sat me down. They already liked it so much. They sat me down to watch it, and I think maybe if I had been watching it on my own, I would have stopped watching. But I was like watching with people who really wanted me to like mm-hmm. it. So I was like, okay, I'll just like sort of make it through. These sketches, um, and then all of a sudden, I was just like dying and loving it. So yeah, and it sticks. It sticks better than, um, sorry, any SNL sketch that I've seen this year. So you
1: know, well, and speaking of SNL, because Tim Robinson was a writer there yeah. for a while and was a performer for a year, it makes wonderful use of Vanessa Bayer and Cecily Strong. Um, Vanessa Bayer, who's not on the show anymore, Cecily Strong, who is, two of the best performers to come out of that show in the last decade, I think. And um, you know, they 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 Bayer got plenty of airtime, and Strong still does. Because but like they, i still feel like they're underused or, they're, or we haven't seen enough of them outside of the you know the world of SNL. Yeah. So it's really fun that they each get a sketch where they feature prominently and um, one of them in particular Vanessa Bayer's went really viral because it was the first it's so um, good. <laughs> you know sketch that Netflix released and it's brilliant.
0: That show was like not totally my thing I think because like sometimes absurdist comedy just goes past me but that Vanessa Bayer sketch uh, and also because it's you know it's about like people at brunch like posting pictures of each other to Instagram it has this like cultural commentary that a lot of the rest of the show doesn't mm-hmm. at least from what I saw, um, and also like you said, Richard Vanessa Bear is such a treasure.
1: And it's not sneering; it's not. No, I no, mean, no, it's no, making exactly. fun of something without kind of condemning the people, which I think is a really crucial um distinction.
0: Yeah, and it's kind of relatable in the way that you feel like you watch everyone else use social media. You're like, am I doing this wrong? Like, I feel like everyone's having more
2: fun <laughs> on this than me. The sketch that I've seen sort of memed the most, and it is also my favorite, is this like car pitching session sketch Uh, and there's just like this one great guy who apparently is like a known figure I don't know elsewhere in the world but I've never seen him before uh, who just like goes off in this car pitching so you might have seen this like older gentleman with white hair saying stuff like you have no good car ideas that's from that sketch it's so good so um, and I think that's (laughs) like episode three or four something like that. Uh, and then I'm really glad that you have the other two on here as well. Uh, speaking of SNL alums, the, the other two is TBS comedy from Chris Kelly and Sarah Schneider, who were head writers on what I think was the most successful SNL season in like recent memory. Like the show was sort of creating for me and then they took over as like co-head writers. Um, it was, you know, it was like the, the election boost year sort of thing, but they just did all this great work. They did a lot of like, um, they did a lot of great work with the with the women of the SNL cast. It was just like a really good time for SNL. And then they abruptly left to do this show. And you're like, oh no, but what oh come back. Um but the but the other two is so good that uh I can't really blame them for for doing it. Um so I'm glad to see it on here.
1: Yeah. It's it's a show that um surprised me because I on paper was like, I'm not sure if I'm gonna like that. Like it just felt a little too hip or on the nose or whatever. Um, but uh, I was so pleasantly surprised that w- when watching the other two, that it's not a mean show. Again, g- talking about the Love Island thing, like it, 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 it ge- has genuine affection for its characters. Um, it's about the siblings of a kid who be- kind of becomes a sort of overnight Justin Bieber-esque yeah. uh, sensation. And you think, okay, so the kid is going to be this total monster. Nope. When you think it's going to go one way, it goes the other while still being a sort of biting um, satire of uh, you know certain kind of celebrity culture right now and uh, a, a culture of vanity that social media kind of uh, has engendered.
2: Yeah, it's a um, little it's a little shits creaky that way. Like in that it's it's like. Yeah. Biting, but nice. You know what I mean? And these people are ridiculous, but like ultimately pretty nice. And so you're like enjoying watching it. Unlike, you know, stuff that I can't watch, like It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, which is too mean and I can't, my heart can't stand it. But the other two has these like <laughs> nice moments where you're sort of like, oh, okay, I like it. Yeah. Um, just to, to kind of state the obvious, I don't think we've talked, I think everyone has talked enough about Fleabag,
0: and if you haven't watched Fleabag, watch, watch Fleabag. I was happy to see it on your list. Whenever I start thinking about like what I've seen this year, and great, I haven't seen that many movies, like Fleabag just feels like obviously the best thing that I've seen this year anywhere. Um, so... The more that we talk about that, the more I start letting myself think it might get somewhere in the Emmys, which might be false, but at least it can be on lists like this.
2: No, I mean like Amazon Amazon comedies tend to do like fairly well at the Emmys. And I think I don't know if that's because they know how to play the awards game better than other people or whatever. Like Catastrophe got nominated. At least like I I can see Phoebe getting like some nominations for writing or something like that, at least. Something like that, you know?
1: Yeah, and it definitely feels like Katie, kind of what you were saying, that like Granted, you know, I'm speaking from something of a bubble, but like Fleabag has been the thing this season, you know, this half of the year. Like it's it's the thing that's most universally spoken about in positive, really like effusive tones at a time when its creator, Phoebe Waller Bridge, is like her star is ascendant for not only this show, but other stuff that she's worked on. It feels like really tapped into the zeitgeist right now. Um, And, you know, that's Probably not true for everyone across the country, but I could see that making an impression on on voters where they would almost feel like, well, if we don't put that show in the mix, then like we're going to seem so out of touch.
2: Yeah. Um, She got an Emmy nomination for the first season of Killing Eve. So I right. could I could definitely see her getting at least in, in the writing category. I could definitely see her getting at least a writing nomination. Of course I would love a nomination for Andrew Scott. And I, I don't know that the comedy category is as closed down as the drama category, you know? I think there's definitely room for this. And and like Fleabag and, and Barry are those um those comedies that seem like they're cheating when they're in the comedy category, right? Because they're basically dramas, but often those those do better when it comes to nomination times. Because you're like, oh, they're doing so much more emotional work, and and like hardcore comedians are over here taking pratfalls, and they're like, this is work. Come on, give me, <laughs> live my category alone. So well, and that's know. what's funny about Succession, which is going to be competing in the drama category.
0: Um, which I'm catching up on is from season, it's from last summer, so it's technically too old, but it's like one of the funniest things that I'm watching right now, and it's a drama, but. It's like, because it, it has such carefully constructed jokes, so so those lines are kind of matter only for awards categories, and then they just get so blurry. Yeah,
2: um, Katie, I think you're the only one among the three of us, I think, who's seen Fossey Verden um, because it's still on my list of to catch up when I was in my Game of Thrones K-hole. Um, what do you think of that being on the list here, and what do you think of it in terms of like Emmy thoughts and feelings? I did not manage to finish Fossey Verdi because I also got stuck in the Game of Thrones. I
0: know I feel so embarrassed because I was so excited about it, and like still am excited about it. I'm like looking forward to it. It feels like one of those like meals you need to prepare to sit down for. Yeah, uh, which might be why we're still trying to catch up. Um, But yeah, I mean from what I watch, like Michelle Williams is giving like the performance of a lifetime, which she routinely does. Um, I think she is so well suited to screen work. Like her face is so expressive, and I thought about this when I saw her in Cabaret on Broadway a couple years ago, which is kind of a funny practice for this. um, where it, it felt like she kind of got lost by the size of the stage, um, and like just having something that's like crafted in this way and on TV week after week, like we've talked about for still watching how like so many great shows get dumped all at once and you have to spend forever catching up. It's like HBO and FX who are doing the like week by week exploration. And even though I'm going to catch up on the rest of Fossey Verden as kind of like a binge, um, kind of like watching it play out and watching people discuss elements of Bob Fosse's life and Gwen Verden's life week by week, I really appreciated its place in the TV conversation. Yeah.
1: Well, it's an interesting show. I watched, I guess, the first five because I wrote a review of it. And um, it's like the big question I had was, who is this for? I mean, I knew I know it was for me and for you, Katie, (laughs) like for like theater nerds. Like, yes, for sure. But like, in a broader sense, you have these two big stars, Academy Award nominee, Academy Award winner. Uh, You're putting some money into this. And yet it still felt admirably niche, like it was very specific about its world and um, yeah, so I'm eager to finish the series too because I want to see where they take it and I, I, I think that it's the kind of thing that because it has the star power will sort of resonate. And it's it's comfortably a limited series or a miniseries. It is not, they're not doing more of it, you know. She's
0: uh, not going to Big Little Lies season two here.
1: Right. So I really think that it has a clear category that voters can put it in. And I think that will help it considerably, especially this year when you have the uh, Television Academy being like, okay, sorry, you know, no more of this. American Horror Story, you're a drama series. Big Little Lies, Your drama series. Like none of this limited series, like like uh, fudging of the rules. So I think they're getting a little bit more Strict about that, which I think is fair. Um, but yeah, Fosse, so Fosse Verden, which is distinctly this you know closed circuit of a thing, um, will 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 do well. Then again, it has Chernobyl to contend with, which was this kind of yeah really I think uh, under the radar thing that then just broke out big. We talked about it last week, but I feel like those are two pretty big juggernauts that are going to be
0: going head to head. If Chernobyl wins limited series, it's HBO, HBO, HBO with Game of Thrones, Veep, and Chernobyl. That's a uh, really something.
2: <laughs> and and somehow still Sharp Objects is. Eligible, right? Yeah, they aired last summer, right? Mm-hmm. I just, I just can't believe that Amy Adams is gonna have done like all of that and not get anything. It makes me crazy because she's so like, she's so good. That was like that was the TV performance for me. So um the other show that I thought I would mention that's not on your list, but um I would add it if I were to, which is better things, uh, Pamela Adlins FX series. This is a show that could have gotten like sort of sunk. Down entirely in the Louis C.K. controversy because Pamela Adlin sort of like, she was the creator, but he was sort of, you know, she was on Louis with him. He was, you know, a co exec producer on it. He wrote a bunch for it. And so when sort of he became persona non grata in, in the industry and, and at FX specifically, like the number one question I heard from people is, what's going to happen to Better Things? And the answer is, Better Things is as good as, if not better than ever before. And Pamela Adlin sort of running the whole whole thing herself. Is just incredible. And so it's a show that I really, really love that I think flies under the radar. Like critics don't forget about it, but I feel like. Uh, and 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 honestly, awards don't really forget about it. Uh, Pamela allen has been nominated a bunch of times, but um, you know, I don't hear people talk about it as much as I would like them to. So there's something about the FX comedies because "You're the Worst" is another one that I you know I just like. FX has had its issues getting its comedies that aren't like Louie, and I guess it's always something the longest running comedy on TV ever uh, to to like really stick in the conversation the way that some of the other platforms do. So.
1: Wondry's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when their adoring fans learned about the infamous lip-syncing, their downfall was swift and brutal. With exclusive interviews from frontman Fab Morvan and his producers Frank Farian and Ingrid Segith, this podcast takes a fresh look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, ad-free right now on Wondery Plus.
0: All right, so let's move on to talking about movies. Uh, Richard, you're also going to have a list of the best uh, movies of the year, which is it's amazing that you managed to do both of these lists when you have spent the whole year watching Love Island. It's a it's an impressive use of your time. I mean, I'm just making it up. <laughs> yeah, seen know, that seen it. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, Richard, maybe we should just start with what uh, made Joanna and I both gasp when we took a look at your list. Look <laughs> at your list. Uh, a battle angel, huh? Literal gasp mm-hmm. into the microphone. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, um, I, that's exactly the reaction one wants when when putting together a best of list. You want you want to. Throw in a little, little, little surprise. Um, yeah, it's a big, silly action spectacular that Robert Rodriguez directed, that James Cameron produced, that didn't do horribly at the box office, but certainly did not do the money, uh, the kind of money that it w- was supposed to when it was an initially conceived. But, you know, big sci-fi robot. Cyborg sort of epic uh, that I just loved. I, I, I you know, earnestly, um, and um, it feels like a kind of thing. It's based on a manga, um, so it, it it is you know based on something. It's not a totally original idea, but it is a semi sort of superhero uh, story that like wasn't about the same ten Marvel characters that you're used to seeing. So I I really appreciated that, um, but I know that. <laughs> that's polarizing.
0: I think my, my favorite role that Alita Battle Angel now has in culture is that it's responsible for Dark Phoenix getting shoved around the schedule. Like it managed not only to, as you said, to kind of have its own superhero story, but doomed another one. It's a, yeah, it's a strange footnote in history.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the scuttlebutt is that, um, James Cameron, again, who is a producer got Fox to move Dark Phoenix because he, he wanted to make room for Alita. Um, they still dumped it kind of in February in a, in a way that felt, uh, maybe unfair to the movie. Um, you know and and it's the kind of thing where at the end they really set up a sequel with a kind of surprise celebrity cameo who is going to be the villain in the next movie and i don't think we're going to get that so uh, i would just you know caveat that to people who haven't seen the movie yet and and, and are encouraged by my raving about it <laughs> to go see it that like you there might be a slight sense of you know uh unmet uh needs or you know un, an unsatisfied quality to the end of the movie but um i still think it's really fun um and and feels like you know it's it's weird it, it's a big corporate enterprise yes but like it still has a sort of individual flair to it that I really appreciate.
0: Uh, I understand that, uh, i just not talking about Battle Angel forever, but one of the things that intrigues me most that I've heard that does make me want to see it is that Christoph Waltz is not giving the same performance he feels like he's been giving ever since Inglourious Pastards.
2: You think for like two seconds that he's like some sort of villain, but then he's just like, nice dad. He's a nice dad. He's a nice nice mad scientist dad.
1: With a big, crazy hammer weapon. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Between him and a Ben Mendelsohn and Captain Marvel, it feels like a good year for villainous character actors playing nice dads in a surprising <laughs> twist. Yeah.
2: There's like, what, four Oscar winners in Alita Battle Angel, right? It's Jennifer Connelly, and Ali, Christoph Waltz, that's crazy. I really hated that movie. Like with, with like so much every fiber of my being. And I think I think it was exasperated for me. And I remember Richard and I were like texting about it afterwards and like Richard's like, I really loved it, but like, is this problematic adaptation from the manga? And I was like, No, it's fine. And he's like, Great, I can just love it. And I'm like, no, it's bad. Anyway. Um, I had this like weird Q and A that came with my screening, um, which had uh, James Cameron and his producers uh, and Robert Rodriguez uh, and some of the actors answering questions, and they were just like patting themselves on the back. These like Jennifer Connelly was basically silent. So was Rosa, Rosa Salazar, who plays the titular Battle Angel, and. Um, and These men were just patting themselves on the back for creating what they called basically an elegant allegory for female puberty. And I was just like, Give me a break. I, I can oh, well, that's. <laughs> <thing>. <laughs> I don't want to hear that. I was just like, What? I mean, I think like I was already like hard mixed on that just because I don't like a lot of CG, like that's just not my thing. But like, um, I was already hard mixed on the movie that I saw that, and I was like, I literally, I think, groaned aloud in the theater. And maybe like they wanted to kick me out, but I was just like, Are you kidding me? The, the, the audience I saw with loved it though and it might be like a fun home watch but i don't know i don't know man um what else is on your list richard (laughs) uh
1: well a a movie that uh i was really happy to include because i think it really came and went with a disproportionate sort of amount of buzz was her smell oh my god Um, yes Movie by Alex Ross Perry that we've talked about on this podcast uh, already, so I won't belabor it too much. But he was like, a
0: guest on the show. You should go. Anyone should go back and listen to it. Yeah,
1: you go. But he was a great. Yeah, he's a great. Really, just loves films. Knows you know a lot about it and is curious to learn more. And, and which is a great kind of energy for a younger director to have. And Elizabeth Moss' performance, that is, I think. Unparalleled, I think it's the best work that she's done. It's really exciting. It's in a different vein than we've seen her before. Um, It's just a really exciting, hard-to-watch, exhausting, but in a good way, uh, kind of um, trip trip through the ringer. And um, I think it'll have a life... you know, on voD or on airplanes, maybe, or you know, on cable. I don't know. but I, I think I think that the, that movie's narrative isn't quite done. But uh, I was a little bit um disappointed that it didn't really make any sort of rumble at the independent art house box office when it came out um this spring,
0: yeah, i uh, I watched this movie at Home, which is a, you know, a privilege that a lot of people don't have. And I think it is maybe easier to watch in your own house because it is deliberately. Kind of challenging you to spend time with this character who is punishing and who is like isolating and driving crazy all the people in her life, which is very much the point. And it, it really pays that off later on. Um, but like you said, Richard, like Elizabeth Moss is just doing this next level performance that I really feel like. Everyone ought to see, and I at least I'm gonna I'm gonna consider it my mission to just keep talking about her when award season comes around. Uh, I don't know what good it will do, but uh, it, it it will drive me crazy if she gets totally overlooked because she is so incredible in that movie.
1: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if that movie lingers. I mean, I think you know the conventional wisdom for so long was always. Oh, if you put the movie out in the spring, it's not an Oscar movie, and that's that's changed obviously. I mean, we just had you know recent examples in in Black Panther and Get Out, which were both February releases that did you know very well in terms of Oscar nominations. Um, so I don't know if I if I should be like oh well that because that movie came out in April, it's it's just dead in the water. But um, I, I'm a little concerned for it. I, I wish that you know i wish that it could get like a little re, you know boutique re-release or something in november just to kind of make it fresh in people's minds the other game you could play <laughs> which is one that the wife did to well <laughs> not the ultimate <laughs> success but almost success a lot of success uh, was you just be the first screener be mm-hmm. the first screener that arrives on voters desks or in their mailboxes uh, you know i don't know what time of year, like like in october whenever you know I, and i hope that there's some sort of campaign behind it because you know, Elizabeth Moss has done well at the Emmys. Like, she's a very respected actress who is not lacked, you know, for awards attention. Um, but this does feel like a real kind of confirmation of something a little bit bigger that uh, I hope, um, you know, I hope that, that, that her due comes, although it's going to be a really. Crowded year, so we'll see.
2: Yeah, it's it's interesting because um, you know to to speak of Elizabeth Moss and films that were perhaps released too early in like awards consideration, the conversation around Us, I feel like, has really died off. Elizabeth Moss is incredible in Us, by the way, as are of course Lupita Nyong'o and other people. But um, that was a film that when it came out, um, I was. A lot of people were like, "Oh, this is gonna this is gonna be even like legsier than Get Out," and I was like, "I don't think so. Like, it's so much more challenging than Get Out." And like, I like that Jordan Peele made it, but I, I just I think I still think it was kind of a mistake to release that one um, as early as they did. So
0: interesting. You think it would have played in like in the fall and had more of an, uh, an awards boost?
2: I think, you know, I think if we were talking about Lupita then, uh, it would be a different conversation than talking about her at the beginning of the year and being like, maybe Lupita and then all these other people sort of crowd in and make you forget about it. So, you know, I think it got like a larger opening. Uh, Box office, but it just doesn't have that like conversational uh, lingering element you
0: want. Well, it's also like Get Out was like probably like literally a perfect movie. Like it's one of those screenplays you see where you're like, this is a polished jewel uh, that doesn't kind of step wrong. And us, like you're saying, it's like more challenging, it's got more going on. So it kind of has less. It's not like it's hard to embrace, but it kind of has less of a, a kind of an impeccable narrative around it,
2: which is fine. And I also just don't think it's as like populous. Yeah. So you don't have people memeing it or like going, repeat viewing it and stuff like that. But I do, I do love that that is the movie that Jordan Peele decided to make with his cachet. And I hope he keeps oh, yeah. like, you know, pushing that. So
1: I'm Chris Murphy. I'm Richard Lawson.
2: And I'm Hilary Busis. We are from Vanity Fair's Still Watching podcast. Next up, we're watching the new HBO show, The Regime.
1: Madam Chancellor. Let's keep the gloves on.
2: This is not a confrontation. We're just saying what's true.
1: Academy Award winner Kate Winslet is our chancellor as she leads a faux European autocracy in turmoil.
2: We'll be watching week
1: by week as the regime unravels. And we'll be talking to the stars along the way. New episodes of Still Watching will drop every Sunday after the regime airs.
2: Um what else what else you got, Richard?
1: Well, another movie, the Souvenir by Joanna Hogg that I you know like I questioned its release strategy, but you know far be it for me to question the gods at a twenty four um but that's a lovely memory piece, um another memory piece that's uh, called Sorry Angel, which is a French film that I first saw at Cannes last year that is set you know midpoint through the the AIDS crisis. In the early 1990s, that's just beautiful and sad, and really grips you in a, in a way that feels like kind of reading a really dense, interesting novel. Uh, and then there's this other film that uh, I don't. I'm sorry, I forgive him, I'm It tore. Toy Story? Toy, st- Is that- hmm. Toy Story. Say- Toy Story. Yeah, right. For- I thought it was just called
0: Forky, yeah. <laughs> yeah right. Ballad of Forky. Um,
1: which, as we know now, was a total box office failure. It only made $125 million <laughs> in its opening weekend. How dare. Which has everyone, you know, ringing the bells of, of doom. Um, but yeah, it feels a little corny to put a movie like that on a list like this, you know, because you want you want to be a little bit like cooler and edgier and not sort of be drinking the, the Pixar Kool-Aid. But I think it's a lovely movie, and um, if you're going to make a fourth movie after a trilogy has really Seemingly ended. Uh, there is a good way to do it, w- w- which we talked about last week on this podcast. So, um, so yeah, I felt like it. It, it only felt necessary to, to include that, even though it, it doesn't really need the, the help. Although, well, or maybe it does. I, know. I don't know. <laughs> uh,
0: I've seen Toy Story four since we talked about it last week, and uh, what really struck me is not just like kind of the emotional stuff you talked about, Richard. Where I think some people have said it's for baby boomers, like getting used to being empty nesters. And you pointed out that it's for people who maybe don't have children and, and need to, like maybe secretly need to be told that like that's okay too. Um, and but it's also really fun. Like, I just enjoyed Mm. seeing it and all the new characters they added, like St. Keanu Reeves showing up as this uh, evil Knievel type. Uh, So it's not just that they, like, really nailed the themes again, but they they justified its existence by reminding you how enjoyable this world is in the first place.
1: And how clever they are, you know? And and there's, like, a little bit of a, like, I don't know, a a slight undernote of smugness there, but I don't really care because, like, they're just, like, every time, um, I hope this isn't a spoiler, but there are sort of... They're villains to an extent that are are, are basically ventriloquist dummies, uh, and and they're so creepy, and the movie knows it, and it and it cuts to their their horrifying faces <laughs> at certain points. In just this, there's really like on like just it, it's just kind of pitch perfect the way that they use that, um, and they because they know it's funny, um, but they don't kind of belabor the joke. It's just I don't know. They're they're just they're very smart at how they do those movies, and. Um, I, I have to kind of tip my hat to that uh, even if I'm not fully on board with the the, the broader sort of Pixar world.
2: Um, it, I don't know if you know this, Katie, but Forky is getting his own Disney Plus TV show. I learned this recently. I'm yeah. very excited. It will, be, I, it will <laughs> be on rotation in my house, I'm sure. <laughs> um, I, and I wanted to ask, you, um, Richard... Maybe the same. It's the same question as we asked about the TV list, which is like when you look at your list, and and we'll have other entries from either critter Cam Collins. Like when you look at that list and you compare it to the top like box office winners, there's only like one overlap, which is a uh, for Forky. <laughs> uh, so like, uh, what you know, what is the disconnect between the movies that people are going to see and the movies that we think are the best? You guys have a lot of like. Good foreign and like a niche under the radar stuff on there. Is this a question of advocacy or is this just like a widening gap between the popcorn fare that people are actually getting out of their house to see and the actual good stuff, which is so micro that people aren't watching it in theaters?
1: Well, I mean, I think that it's it's partly because we're doing this halfway through the year. You know, I think by the end of the year we will have had uh, one hopes uh, some not franchisee you know, movie that, that's done well at the box office, you know, uh, because there's usually one or two every year that, you know...
0: Like like A Star is Born or something. Sure,
1: exactly. Um, But, you know, studios and, and other distributors are gradually realigning their thinking about, like, when, what time of year movies should come out in, uh, which is why you now have big ten-pulled movies that come out in February, where previously that would never have happened, um, and why you have little indies come out that should, you know, sort of traditionally be fall movies, But, you know, this has been a really trying year, I think, uh, People talk about uh, Men in Black International doing so poorly, or uh, Godzilla, or Dark Phoenix, and and yeah, those are kind of obvious examples of a certain malaise that has affected movies in North America this year. But if you go further down the line, I mean, I mean, I, you, know, you know, poor me, like pull out your tiny violin. But like, it's been hard to be a film critic this year because I'm just like, I, there's not a ton that I can get excited about. Um, I, I feel really strongly about all the movies on this list, but um, but I think it does represent a sort of I don't want to say lackluster, but a quieter year, let's say, than in years past. Maybe Alita: Battle Angel wouldn't be on my list <laughs> if, if there had been something else, but I just didn't see that something else. You know, I liked Captain Marvel, and I liked—I uh, didn't mind Men in Black International, but like Alita is the only movie of its scope and scale that uh, really said anything to me. Yeah, uh, this year, which um, you know, I, I think in years past that's not really been true. So. We're, 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 in, we're in a bit of a fallow period. I mean, obviously, television is, you know, roaring away, but um, I have hopes that this list will look different in December, and I'll have a lot more to add to it.
2: I mean, justice for Detective Pikachu and all that. No, I'm just kidding.
0: Well, <laughs> <laughs> um, Jenna, I do feel like there are maybe a couple more populous things that might make your list if you're
2: making one. Like, yeah. a, are, are, you, are you
0: still a Captain Marvel diehard at this point in the year?
2: I don't know that I was ever a Captain Marvel Die Hard and I don't know that Captain Marvel would make my top ten list, though I really did like it. Uh uh I might put Avengers Endgame on there, but maybe not. I don't know. I would I would definitely consider putting it on there. Um, if only for like The same reason, the most movie, (laughs) just like Mm -hmm, Game of Thrones mm -hmm. is the most TV. But there's, I did write down a couple other movies. Book Smart, I would definitely put in my top 10. Um, It's controversial to say, but like that, uh, I guess, which is a weird thing that happened to Book Smart. But that was a movie that really spoke to me when I saw it at South by and like has only grown in my estimation since. So I'm hoping that like outside the cloud of controversy, people will discover Book Smart at home. That would make me really happy. I feel like
0: also, uh, since we talked about it's Uh, Performance at the box office. I'm just looking at Box Office Mojo. It's made $20 million, which is not less than it deserves, I think, but not doing so bad for itself. So that was a nice, uh, like, delayed happy ending that I found.
2: Yeah. And then in the top 20, you will find another thing that, like, I just can't stop thinking about it, even though I know it's not a great movie, which is Rocketman. Like, there's so much good in Rocketman that, like, it is. Kneecapped by some stuff that it doesn't need, but over time and distance, I just think about the good stuff, and I'm like, "Oh, Rocket Man was so good." In part, so like I don't know that I could, in good conscience, put it on like a top ten, but uh, it's definitely one that I that I've been thinking a lot about, and I'll be curious to see how that does. I mean, it did it did fine at the box office. No Bohemian Rhapsody, but it did fine. But I'll be really curious to see if maybe Rocket Man hitting home release will give Taryn some kind of surge uh, in awards season later this year. I don't know. Like it might it might to its be to its benefit. Do have been released now so that people can watch it at home later, possibly. Yeah,
0: I would like to see him. Him, stick around. I still haven't seen Rocket Man, even though I had like like Burden and been excited for it. I got to like just treat myself to things that I want to see. Um, but it is funny at this point in the year when we start talking about awards because we can't help ourselves that the shape still feels so fuzzy. Like there's a handful of things that we expect to see in the fall. Or we've seen trailers for, but a lot still won't be known until like Toronto and Venice start announcing their lineups in August. So it is a funny period to be like, yeah, Taryn, why not? And you truly, why not? Like all the other potential stuff that could come in could flop terribly and he'll still be stand he'll he'll still be standing like Elton John and the song.
2: Yes. Um hopefully Taryn will still be standing um at the end of the year. <laughs> <laughs> Can't help myself. Uh,
0: yeah. Um, any, any any last ones, uh Joanna?
2: Um That I would put in my top ten, I don't think so. I think I too am am excited to see what happens uh, in the rest of the year. Uh, We shall see. But um, I'm really excited to check out some of these things on uh, Richard and Cam's list that I haven't had a chance to watch yet. Uh, Her smell, I think, is streaming already, isn't it? Like I can catch that at home. That seems likely. I believe yeah. so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that's actually top shooting to the top of my list. Yeah, I have a Your list of- influence,
0: Richard. <laughs> I have a list of what's streaming now that I need to catch up on, which includes Apollo 11, the documentary that like blew everybody's minds. Mm. Uh, High Life mm-hmm. is on iTunes now, Under the Silver Lake, which is very controversial, but I still would like to catch up on. And I believe Gloria Bell should either be um, out uh, streaming now or out soon in a- I feel like I owe that to myself. So uh, yeah. even those of us who don't get out of the house have a lot to catch up on.
1: Gloria Bell didn't make our list, but it was close, and uh, I, I think that's a really nice little movie. Although I would also urge people to go seek out um, the same director's original um, Chilean film, just called Gloria, which is I think a little bit better, but um, but Gloria Bell is, if you don't want to have to read subtitles, <laughs> or, or if maybe you speak Spanish, then you're fine.
0: Or you need Julianne Moore to uh, hold your hand. For yeah, a, she's,
1: got, for, she's got like a fun <laughs> pair of glasses in it, and she like does crazy things, you know. It's fun.
2: I'm just not sure why we would be discussing awards at all at this point when we haven't seen my film, Cats, which comes out later (laughs) this year. Did you write and direct it? Is that what you mean? I I did, I did. I've been inspired by Richard's work on the Trolls franchise (laughs) and I was like, I'd like to try my hand at a musical. (laughs) So I conceived of this idea of what if cats but singing, you know? So I'm really, I'm looking forward to you all seeing that creation. Yeah, I mean,
1: I think my best of the year list is just going to be that. It's just going to be Cats. Like there's not going to be anything else. And then my best of the decade list is just Going to be cats.
2: Yeah. Uh, I think it should just be like one through ten each of the cats' names. You're like Grisabella,
1: Griddlebone, <laughs> Mungo Jerry,
2: and
0: Rumple Teaser. <laughs> so, you know, I, uh, I have so much cats catch up to do. <sighs> That does it for this week's podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, next week, since it's 4th of July week, we will be taking a bit of a break, but we'll be sharing interviews. Uh, Richard talked to Jack Rayner of Midsommar, and I talked to Lynn Shelton, the director of a new film, Sword of Trust. So we'll be back with you, look for the episode, and then um, we'll be at return after the holiday. Uh, in the meantime, you can find us all at VanityFair.com, where you can find the list of the best TV shows and movies of the year so far. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at LittleGoldMen, and on our own. Uh, I'm at Katie Rich, Richard. Rylaws.
2: And Joanna. Skimble shanks the railway cat.
0: This episode was edited and produced by Kyle Oppenheimer, and this week's award for the best protest sign at the 2020 Oscars
2: goes to Joanna Robinson. Justice for Detective Pikachu.
0: I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A—